Welcome to Frontline Gastroenterology and the podcast relating to February's Twitter debate entitled Gastroenterology Training in the UK and Beyond. My name is Dr. Manmeet Mathru and I'm a gastroenterology registrar in London. I'm delighted to introduce Dr. Gavin Johnson, a consultant gastroenterologist at University College London Hospitals. His subspecialty interest is pancreatobiliary medicine with expertise in ERCP and EUS. Dr. Johnson has an academic background in medical education and is a senior lecturer in medical education at UCL and is also the director of undergraduate education at UCL. Dr. Johnson is a member of the Joint Advisory Group for Endoscopy's Quality Assurance Committee and is involved in the quality of training and assessments with regard to JAG accreditation. Dr. Johnson was chair of the BSG Education Committee till 2015 and has vast experience of conducting postgraduate courses, including London Live Endoscopy. Welcome, Dr. Johnson, and thank you for running an excellent debate on GI training. So I was wondering if you could tell me, how did you develop your interest in medical education and why do you think it's so important? Yeah, very good question. As, as many things in a career, it was serendipity. I was looking for out-of-programme ideas and options, increasingly fearful of a biomedical avenue, and very luckily stumbled upon a fellowship at the Royal College of Physicians looking at uh, mainly assessment, in-work assessment and looking at the competence of the UK workforce in the postgraduate setting back in 2005 and took that right the way through into making education something I'm uh, very much interested in and passionate about. That's really interesting. Given that background, uh, what's your opinion on JAG endoscopy training and can you give us a flavour of any upcoming developments? Yeah, so only recently did did I start my involvement with JAG which has been very interesting. So for about a year now, I've sat on their QA uh, committee, which largely has been trying to look at DOPS forms and the accreditation process for various endoscopic procedures. Now, we've known for some time that it's possible to be signed off with gastroscopy and signed off with colonoscopy, and it's very well defined how how that runs. But it was long felt that the ERCP sign-off process was not fit for purpose, based largely on a sort of outdated DOPS form, and there had never been the equivalent for either GI bleeding or endoscopic ultrasound. So around about a year or two ago, there was a big endeavour to update the gastroscopy and colonoscopy forms by members of the QA uh, committee and develop new forms for ERCP, GI bleeding, and endoscopic ultrasound scan. And there have been different champions within uh, the QA committee leading on these, which I, I won't go into all the names, but... Um, Lots of people have worked behind the scenes on the, on the different iterations of the forms. What now needs to happen is that these are to be rolled out. Mark Feeney is leading the project for JAG, and they're going to be rolled out in July. And what we need to then do is evaluate how those forms and the accreditation process is performing. And what that means is using the JETS portfolio to gather in lots of the real-life uh, in vivo data from the DOPS forms and number crunch and determine, first of all, are they valid? Are they assessing what we're intending them to assess? And second of all, are they reliable? So are are reliable judgments being made based on these forms? Well, I think what's important to say about the forms is that not only are they looking at the technical skills of each of the endoscopic procedures, but for the first time it's broadening out the appreciation of the case, so situational judgment, So, for example, on ERCP, it would be to determine the indications for the procedure, things like interpretation of the cholangiogram aftercare. And then, obviously, something close to your heart is the 
uh, assessment of non-technical skills in endoscopy. And for the first time on all four of these assessment forms is a section on, if you like, asking for some feedback to the trainee and being assessed of the trainee as to how their non-technical skills were and getting some feedback on that, which, as we'll all recognise, I think is of vital importance to a good endoscopist. So it's Absolutely. an exciting project and lots of work to be done in terms of their evaluation, but in July we'll start to see these forms emerge. Excellent. And do you think they'll have, obviously, a pivotal role in making assessments for accreditation, but obviously um, helping trainees formatively to sort of guide their training sort of early on, potentially, so they know what, what to aim for? Absolutely. And I think if you look at the evidence behind the DOPS, where they do do very well is with their sort of formative aspects, so assessment for learning, to deliver on all those different aspects, both technical and non-technical, of an endoscopic procedure to seek feedback for the trainee on them. And if they're done properly, that can be very, very powerful, and lots of evidence in the medical literature would suggest that they're powerful when done properly. But I think, as we would all recognise, this does require time for training, appropriate training lists where the supervisor has time to debrief. And if that is possible and that happens, then the DOPS form really can help um, improve training as well. Excellent, I completely agree. Um, and you mentioned sort of very uh, importantly that you have to have protected time for training. Leading on from that, um, what do you think are the main issues as a trainee and a trainer of balancing general uh, medicine with gastroenterology training? How do we achieve this? Uh, I don't think we are achieving it. So in the last three years or so, I think there have been abstracts put out by the JETS team, Paul Dunkley et al., who have looked at the numbers of procedures being done by trainees at different stages. And if you'd asked uh, a room full of consultants what we think our trainees should be doing for gastroscopy and colonoscopy from years ST3 right the way up to CCT, I think we would have been amazed by those those results that do show that the JETS numbers are nowhere near where we'd expect them. And I think you don't need to ask the trainees or too many trainees to work out why that is, and it's the challenge of GIM training which pulls people away from, from their training list and so on. Uh, I'm not sure what the answers are. I think the answers are usually specific to an institution and a rotation within a region. I think we probably need to be doing our more intense GIM earlier on during training, but that can mean you're struggling to get signed off and accredited for, for even gastroscopy within a year or two of, of starting gastroenterology training, which is not ideal. But it's very difficult, very difficult indeed. I, I, I know how... Some trainees get around this. They come in when they shouldn't and they're doing ward rounds before hours so that they can go onto non-training lists uh, for at least to observe procedures and perhaps get one or two in when it's not a formal training list. And I think we would all recognise that there is a, a breadth and a range of sort of individuals within rotations within hospitals, some of which embrace that idea and, and others don't. And the ones who get accredited quicker and get ticked off quicker and get their numbers up um, are probably working above and beyond what they're supposed to be, if you like. I think that's a very important point, and it echoes something that came up in the Twitter debate, which was um, training is not a passive process. You have to be active as a trainee and seek out your opportunities, whether they be sort of observation of lists in bowel cancer screening, even if you can't get a hands-on list, there are opportunities that probably we should try and capitalise upon. What are your thoughts on seven-day working and the proposed new junior contract? How is this going to affect our training? Yeah, so this, perhaps not surprisingly, in the current political climate, it came out loud and clear on the Twitter debate last week that 
this is really of prime concern to the trainees and why would it not be? Perhaps not for the current cohort, but those coming through. What has not come anywhere near the debate, as far as I understand it yet, is if we're to deliver seven-day working, and each day is a standard working day, then it is crucial of the Royal Colleges and the national societies such as BSG to recognise that training must and has to fall hand-in-hand with it being a seven-day process. I don't think we can cherry-pick which days of the week are training opportunities. Now, further to that, I do think some of the best training can often be available at weekends, even under the current setup of hospitals. So that is out of hours GI bleeding. It can be specialty ward rounds where perhaps you're seeing a cohort of, of more specialist patients as a trainee with, with consultant supervision. I think that can be very powerful, but that would no longer be valid, really, if we're talking seven-day working, because every day is said to be the same. So as and when these plans mature, if they mature, if they get off the ground, then I think anyone with a vague interest in training at a postgraduate level needs to be on the front foot to really make sure that training doesn't suffer, because it's a concern and a threat, I agree. And how do you think, do you have any comments on subspecialty training, obviously having a background in ERCP? How are we going to ensure that the appropriate subspecialisation in, say, for example, hepatology or um, ERCP is appropriately carried forward? As things are, I think there is reasonably robust pathways of, of selecting into subspecialty. So there's the recognised extra liver year, which seems to be working well around the country. The other subspecialty programmes, such as IBD and nutrition, have been a little bit more sporadic and, fair to say, I think, less mature, if you like, less embedded into the sort of psyche of trainees coming through than are the, the liver years. And the advanced endoscopy fellowships haven't really taken off either to be recognised to be a nationwide recruitment process. I think largely because people are still finding their way to training centres and applying into post-CCT fellowships or peri-CCT fellowships that still exist. What hasn't really happened is that people have gone the extra leg and defined those within the BSG um, and the SAC sort of training pathways for advanced endoscopy fellowships. I think there are some excellent years and two-year programmes around the UK, both for colonoscopy and advanced uh, pancreobiliary endoscopy, but they're not particularly opened up onto a national basis for applications, as are the liver posts, if that makes sense. So I don't think there's, a, I don't think there's all, an awful lot wrong with what's happening at the moment. Perhaps the endoscopy fellowships could be better defined and maybe nationalised, and so it's a bit more visible to the trainees what the opportunities are, rather than the current play, which I think is more uh, word of mouth. However, of course, on the horizon is the second great threat or concern to training in the UK, which is shape of training. So together with seven-day working, I think these two things may either be a threat or an opportunity, depending on your glass half full, glass half empty sort of psyche. The idea behind shape of training is that you have a sort of cohort of more junior practitioners taking the weight of general medicine, making people generalists for longer, However, the opportunity then is that you would have dedicated credentialing in in the particular subspecialty, um, be that advanced endoscopy, be that IBD, be that nutrition, be that um, hepatology. Now, my great concern of how that uh, algorithm looks on the websites is that it looks to be a post-CCT credential, which having trained in EUS myself post-CCT, it was not so straightforward. The pools of service and all the rest of it on a consultant's time is considerable. And what I have not seen 
that's been terribly convincing is how that time might be protected, particularly when you are able to contribute to your institution on a much higher level than, than perhaps SPRs currently can, in that you would be post-CCT, you'd be able to do GIM, you might be able to do more basic endoscopy lists. So who's really going to carve up two, three days a week for you to credential? That, that's my concern about that. If that is if the, that is defined and delivered, then on paper, we may have the solution for how trainees in subspecialties are able to protect their time a little better and protect it from GIM to get some immersion training in these disciplines. But I have not seen how that, I haven't seen any sort of convincing evidence of how that would be defined yet. Thank you. That's a really interesting point. And I think with the current political climate, it's important to sort of highlight that there are changes that we have to embrace and sort of find the opportunities, I guess. Um, So what are your closing remarks on gastroenterology training in the UK? What have we achieved and what should we aspire to? Okay, well, I think on the positive note, I, I think what has been done for the standard of endoscopy training in this UK in the UK in the last 10 years has been, first of all, evidenced by papers with the two audits done by the BSG most recently two years ago published, show that the sequel intubation rates based on the, if you like, JAG revolution of recognizing training posts, creating endoscopy courses, uh, delivering the JET's electronic portfolio and defining how an accreditation colonoscopy may look uh, via key performance indicators, I think has been sensational. And that's for the, it's, no, it's no accident that the BSG and JAG have exported some of this expertise around the world. I think the same could be said of other subspecialty within the UK. It's harder to sort of evidence that, you know, how good is IBD training in the UK, how good is hepatology training in the UK. It's, it's harder to evidence, but, but my view is that I think these, these specialty training years are, are, are effective, and I think trainees are coming out with confidence in those areas and walking into jobs that require those subspecialties. So I think there's a lot to be celebrated. I think on the downside is the distinct concern about seven-day working, If that's going to dilute how much training is happening, then we have concerns. Are trainers going to be as happy delivering training lists on Saturdays and Sundays? We have to look at that and make that very much part of our sort of conscience as trainers. And finally, shape of training is going to shake things up enormously as as we currently understand gastroenterology training and the curriculum in the UK. And we all ought to keep an eye on that as well. Thank you very much, Dr. Johnson, for a very interesting debate and topical discussion. As well as the podcast, a summary of the debate can be found on www.storify.com forward slash front gastro underscore BMJ forward slash frontline hyphen training. Watch this space for the March debate and follow at frontline gastroenterology hashtag FG debate. Thank you very much.